Good morning. If you're here for the first time this morning, I want to welcome you. Thank you for choosing to worship with us here today at Avondale Memorial Church. If you are returning, if this is your second or third, fourth or fifth time here, we're glad that you have chosen to join us again and to worship with us here at Avondale Memorial. If you are a regular attendee or if you're a member, we are always happy to see you. We're glad that you would uh, come back and join us in worship. And it's been a, a feast this morning, hasn't it? It's been excellent. Love the music. I was just sitting with Peter and saying to him that I have no musical talent whatsoever. Um, and I'm glad that there are people that do. Thank you to everyone who's come from Avondale College and um, also for um, Ardent Sound. That's what they're called, is that right? Yep. Uh, Dr. Heiss, Dr. Barry and Val May Hill. Uh, the Petries are here, I saw them. They couldn't slip by me. So thank you for those who have come from Avondale College Church. This is part of the service where I get to open up the Bible with you and share what I believe God has placed on my heart. And uh, I'm very, very excited about this message and we're going to continue this feast as we open up God's Word. So let's take a moment to pray as we open up God's Word. Father, I want to thank you for, for life. We want to thank you that we can worship you in so many ways and through giving and serving, through music. We can worship you as we open up and we read your Word and Father, we um, just pray that as you do that this morning, speak to us through it, fill us with your Holy Spirit, inspire us, challenge us, and may we leave this place with our hearts on fire and in uh, wanting to know you better, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you were one of the authors of the Gospel, that is the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, how would you decide which stories to include and which to exclude? While there are a lot of similarities in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark and Luke, each book is still unique and includes accounts that the others don't. So for example, while Mark excludes anything about the birth and uh, early life of Jesus, Luke includes details that are only unique to his gospel. And while Luke includes a lot of Jesus' parables, many, again, which are, are very unique to his book, John hardly has any. But John does include the meeting with Nicodemus and none of the other books do. How would you decide which miracle to include and which to exclude? It's not like... You would have a shortage of material when it comes to Jesus' miracles because John writes at the end of his gospel, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So Jesus brought sight to hundreds, possibly thousands of eyes, but how would you choose which one to include? 
or which story of him healing a cripple or casting a demon out of someone would you include? How do you decide? Because each one was miraculous. It's not like one miracle was greater than the other because they're all miracles. In fact, some of the miracles that Jesus did on his way to his appointments would be our greatest accomplishments. Today, I want to share with you four stories that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include. But Mark, in his book, devotes more time to these stories than the others. These four stories highlight Jesus as the great miracle worker. They highlight Jesus as the one who has the ultimate authority over natural disasters, demons, disease, and death. That's the 4D Jesus. That's the one who is greater than, well, it's nature, demons, disease, and death, but that would be NDDD, and I wanted to come up with four Ds, so I made it natural disasters. Maybe I'm stretching it a bit. Forgive me. But all these things, these natural disasters, demons, disease, death, all of these things are something that you and I have no control over. We have no control over the weather. I can't make it rain or sunny. You and I have no control over demonic forces. We can call on the name of Jesus, but we ourselves have no power over them. We can't control disease and sickness and illness and whether we get sick or not. We have some control over this through our our diet and our lifestyle, but we can do everything right and we can still get sick. And we certainly have no control over death. But the good news is that Jesus does. He has full control, full power and authority over nature, over demons, over disease and over death. And my big idea that I want to share with you, and I want you to take this away, if you forget everything else that I share with you this morning, I want you to remember this, that is, everything we face in life, Jesus faced and conquered. That's what I want you to take away with you. You know, we may not have control over those things, over nature, over demons, disease, or death, but Jesus has full authority over them because he has conquered them. So the four stories that I want to share with you today start in Mark chapter 4. And if you have your Bible, uh, open up your Bible to Mark chapter 4. If you have an electronic device, a phone or a tablet, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. Don't worry. Just turn to someone beside you. Someone beside you may have a Bible. And if you do, share with the person next to you. Now, I'm not going to read all the stories, only because we don't have time, but I want to highlight some verses and some themes with you as we unpack these four stories. Now, the first story, which starts in Mark chapter 4, that's Matthew, Mark in the New Testament, chapter 4, starting in verse 35, shows Jesus' power over nature and over any natural disaster that may occur. And it starts like this, 
On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. I want to just stop there for a moment. Jesus and his disciples here are in Capernaum. Most of his ministry here in, in uh, well, during his time here on earth and here in Mark has been done in Capernaum. This is on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. On the eastern side is not Jewish territory. So Jesus and his disciples are in Jewish territory. They're on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And he says to them, let us go over to the other side. That is non-Jewish territory. They don't know what's on the other side. And he doesn't tell them why they're going to the other side. He just says, let's go. And they follow his command. The first kind of lesson I get as I look at this is, are we willing to follow and trust what God says? Are we willing to follow the command of God and go even though we don't know what's on the other side, even though we don't know what is about to happen? Are we willing to follow the lead of God and the command of God? Are we willing to follow and trust what God says? Even though the world and society say the opposite. Even though what we may say is politically incorrect. Are we willing to trust God and stand up for what we believe is right? Even though we may not know what may happen. Previously in this chapter, Jesus has spent the entire day uh, preaching and teaching and probably healing And by the evening, he's exhausted. And as soon as they get in the boat, he falls asleep. He falls asleep. As I said earlier, up until now, most of his ministry has been in Capernaum, but he's about to cross over into non-Jewish territory. Because Jesus has a divine encounter with a man on the other side. On the way... They get caught in a life-threatening storm. The story goes on. It says there, verse 36, uh, let's go to verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. You know, whenever we choose to follow the command of God, even when it seems unpopular, The enemy always raises up opposition against us. And we find ourselves in the midst of a storm. When you make God important, the enemy will send a storm. You know, did you expect that that when you take a stand for Jesus and you take a stand for what God wants you to take a stand for, did you ever think that the, the devil would let you go without a fight? Did you expect that that Pharaoh would let you leave Egypt and not send his chariots to chase you down? You stand up for God and you stand up for what you believe is right and you will inevitably find yourself in a storm. Some of you might be going through a storm now and maybe the reason the storm is raging is because you are following the command of God. Sometimes we don't always understand while we're going through the storm. 
And sometimes when we go through the storm, sometimes we think that God is not with us. But when we read the story in verse 38, it says Jesus was with them in the boat. He was asleep, but he was with them in the boat. Sometimes you find yourself in a storm precisely because you're walking in obedience to God. See, they were following the command of Jesus to go to the other side. Now, sometimes, let's be honest, we find ourselves in a storm because of something silly we have done or something stupid we have done. Let's be honest, isn't that right? Sometimes we can bring storms upon ourselves because of our own unfaithfulness. But in this story, they are in the storm because of their faithfulness to follow the command of God. And you see, the enemy never attacks that which he's scared of. The enemy doesn't attack that which he is fearful of. You see, Jesus had a divine appointment on the other side, and the enemy knew it, so he started this storm to keep him from getting to the other side, from, to keep him from getting to this divine encounter. So when you're going through the storm, I want you to know that you must be important. You must be important. The devil must be scared of you because he doesn't attack that which he's not worried about. A few years ago, I was playing touch footy with the youth of, of my church. This was when I was much younger and, and, and fitter and healthier. And we entered this touch football competition. It was just a one-day touch football competition with um, a whole bunch of other churches. And it didn't take long for my teammates to figure out that I was no good at touch footy. It was pretty hopeless. And so you know what they did? They didn't pass the ball to me. <laughs> they didn't pass the ball. Why would you pass the ball to someone who would probably fumble and drop it and, and then give it to the other team? In fact, the other team probably wanted me to have the ball because, you know, it would be easy for them to stop, the, stop me. But the other team, the opposing team, they're not worried about the person who isn't good. They're not going to guard someone who can't do anything with the ball. Why would you guard someone who can't score? See, the devil doesn't start a storm for someone he's not threatened by. And if you're going through a storm at this point in time, you must be important. God must have something planned for you. In fact, Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy 3.12. He says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, he didn't say all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus may suffer persecution or, and, or you may have a bad day or all who desire to, um, you know, live godly in Christ Jesus won't get the best car park at the shopping center during Christmas time. That's not what he says. He says, if you follow Jesus, you will suffer persecution. So you must be important. If you're going through the storm now, there must be someone on the other side of that storm that Jesus wants you to meet. 
It must be a divine encounter that he has planned for you. And if you're in the midst of a terrible dark storm right now, remember, you're not alone. Jesus is with you and at the right time, he will stand and he will say, peace, be still, like he does in verse 39, and he will calm the storm. You see, I used to think that the storm meant that God had left me. Now I realize that the storm means that I must be walking in obedience to the command of God and that grace is on the way. So whatever storm has been raised in your life, whatever you're going through, Jesus is greater because Jesus is able to stand and say, peace, be still, and the wind is able to cease. The next story is found in chapter 5, Mark chapter 5, and when they cross the sea and arrive to the other side, to the the non-Jewish side, it says there, starting in verse 5, Uh, chapter 5, excuse me, in verse 2, and when he'd come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him and always, night and day, He was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. This poor man, terrible as he was to others, this poor man endured untold misery, so much so that he found relief in his tears and self-inflected torture, living in in a cemetery among tombs all by himself. chained, bound up, possessed by a legion of demons we find in the passage. And I can't go any further without first stopping and asking, as I think about this story and I think about this man, I have to ask the question, what are the chains that bind you? What are the chains? that bind you, your secret sins, addiction, stealing, lying, gossip, what is it that the devil has enslaved you and chained you up with? But we're going to discover in this passage that whatever it is that the devil has enslaved you to and has chained you up to, that Jesus is the great chain breaker, that he is able to set us free from all of these things. And as I've been saying earlier, you must be important if you're going through a storm or if you're being persecuted, you must be important. And guess what? If you've been chained up by the devil, then again, you must be important because he's not going to chain up something that he's not fearful of. 
See, I thought my chains meant that God couldn't use me. Instead, these mean that God is about to set me free and I'm about to help others break their chains. Whatever it is that has been enslaving you and you've been chained to, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to set you free. You've got the devil scared. That's why you are where you are. The devil wouldn't tie you up if he wasn't afraid of you. And what would happen if you were free? The temptations and the trials that come your way are only the devil's attempt to chain you up. But Jesus has come to set you free. You know, this is the first time that this man sees Jesus. And it says, when he saw Jesus from afar, verse 6, he ran and he worshipped him. This is the first time he saw Jesus, but this is not the first time Jesus saw him. This is the first time he will hear Jesus, but this is not the first time Jesus has heard him. When this man was up late crying, Jesus was up late praying. This is the first time he will hear the name Jesus. But Jesus already knew this man by name because he knew him before he was even born. Could it be that Jesus has heard your cry? When you thought you were all alone, could it be that Jesus has always been with you? Jesus has heard your pleading, your longing for help. And he will answer. He always does. In verse 9 and 10, or started in verse 8, Jesus commands the unclean spirit to come out of this man. And then he says to him, what is your name? The demoniac had lost sight of who he was and whose he was. Jesus came to remind him that he is a child of God. Jesus knew who this man was, but the man had forgotten who he, who he is. Jesus asked his name so he could show him who he really is. You think your name is Legion, but I'm going to change that, and I'm changing you from a maniac into a missionary. I've got a great plan for you. You see, I crossed the sea for you. And he says to those evil spirits, you need to let this man go. He's important to me. You need to leave. You need to vacate the premises. I went through the storm for this man. I went through thunder and lightning to get to this man. I crossed the sea to meet this man. I know everyone else has forgotten about him, but not me. He's important to me. Now, if Jesus crossed the sea for this man that was forgotten and cast out, don't you think he'll cross the sea for you? In fact, if Jesus has crossed the universe for you, if Jesus has crossed time and space for you, if Jesus became a man, taken upon himself human flesh for you and died and rose for you, how important must you be? You must be important. Don't let anyone put you down and tell you you're worthless because for Jesus, you are worth it all. He died so you could live. 
He crossed the sea to encounter a man that was ridden off and forgotten. And he still crosses whatever it takes to encounter you, to remind you that you are important. You're going through storms, or maybe you're exactly where you're you're supposed to be, on the way to a divine encounter. You're chained through your habits, your sins. Maybe the devil has chained you up because he's scared of you and he knows what will happen when you're set free and when you're walking and living in faith to Jesus. Jesus cast out these demons we find in verses 13 and onwards and they go into the pigs and destroy the pigs. That's what demons do. They have no value for human life or your well-being. Their whole desire is to destroy you and they, they, they show that by destroying these pigs. And these pigs represent a significant part of financial part of this region, something approximate to, to maybe $2 million in today's worth. And we find that the people of this region, even though they're scared of this man, they care more about the pigs than they do the man. They ask Jesus to leave. You know, the enemy always attacks what we value the most. And he sets a storm around us to distract us from the plan that God has for our lives. You know, when I, I was 20 years old, when I first started to read the Bible, and I discovered that there is a God in there that loves me unconditionally. I was raised in a Greek Orthodox home, and when I started to read the Bible, and I found the Sabbath and the truth that is in this book, and found that I had to follow my convictions, that I could no longer believe what I believed before when I had this encounter with Jesus and chose him and to follow him a storm arose I got kicked out of home because of my faith I lived away from home for two years I wasn't allowed back I was a spoiled little 20 year old Greek boy I didn't even know how to wash clothes I had to learn how to do that pretty quickly And things spiraled out of control. I don't have time to share it all with you. I'll have to do it at another time. You know, Greeks are very dramatic. You know, if you go to Greece, there's those, all those theaters of antiquity. You know, we created the, the Greek tragic drama. And we still do. We create drama, these crazy Greeks. When I gave my life to Jesus and followed him. I was kicked out of home. And then my mum tried to take her life three times. She tried to commit suicide, blaming me, saying that I brought shame upon the family. And all I wanted to do was follow Jesus. I found myself in the midst of a storm. But you know what? Even though I was in that storm, Jesus gave me peace and Jesus took care of me. I'm running out of time. I've got to move on really quickly. Verse 15, this man only spends a little bit of time 
with Jesus. It says there, Then they came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. You know, this man, unlike the disciples that spent three and a half years with Jesus, this man only spent a short time with him, maybe an hour. He didn't have time to to be instructed thoroughly in biblical truth or the messianic prophecies of the Bible or how to preach or how to teach. It was a very short encounter, but it was an encounter that made a change in, in this man's life. You know, it's not what you know theologically, but it's who you know personally that matters. This man knew Jesus, his life was changed. And it's interesting because this is the only time in Scripture that Jesus turns someone away. He says to him that, uh, verse 18, um, that he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might go with him. Uh, Verse 19, but Jesus says, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has compassion on you. This is the only time Jesus says no. And he says to him, you know, I'm not going to take you out of this. I took it out of you. I changed your condition, but I'm going to leave you in this circumstance. And I want you to go and I want you to declare what I have done for you. When the people see how much you have changed, they are going to be amazed. And it goes on and it says there that he departed and he went to Decapolis. That's the ten cities. He went from city to city to city proclaiming what Jesus had done for him. And later on in the book of Mark, in chapter 7, Jesus returns to this area and he heals a deaf and a dumb man. And it says there that they respond, he has done all things well. I wonder if it was because of the, the witness of this man that later on they accepted Jesus. You know, sometimes Jesus gives you faith to go and other times he gives you grace to stay. We need to trust him. Jesus, this story reveals, he has power and authority over demonic forces. I'm running out of time and I apologize. I think I've bitted off too much. Last two stories are sandwiched together. They start in verse 21. And it's a story of a woman who who has been sick for 12 years and is healed, and a young girl who dies and is restored to life. The third story will start with this woman. She's a woman of, she's a nobody, nobody important. We don't even know her name. It starts in verse 25. It says, a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Verse 27, but when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. Because of her realness, this woman is a social outcast for 12 years. According to the law, she was unclean and cut off from normal fellowship with anyone. She's tried everything to heal herself until she had nothing left but Jesus. I remember years ago working in Sydney, there's a a lot of homeless people in Sydney and I would always come across them and many of them would ask me for money and I'd, I'd often I'd say to them 
I'm not going to give you money, but I'm happy to buy you food. Let me buy you some food. And some of them would say yes, and they would appreciate it. I remember speaking to this man, and he was begging me for money. And I said, look, um, I don't, I'm not going to give you money, but if you like, let's go to the shop, and I'll, I'll spend as much money as you want on food, $100, $200, whatever you want. I'll buy all of your groceries for a week, a month, I don't care. I'll pay for it all for you. Let's go. And he said to me, no, it's better if you give me the money. <laughs> In the end, I said to him, I'm sorry, mate. <laughs> but there was a lot of um, uh, homeless people in Sydney. And I remember seeing this woman for, for weeks standing in the same spot asking people for money and people would just pass by her and ignore her and one day I spoke to her and I, I, I invited her to accept Jesus as her savior and she said no and I looked at her and I said what else do you have to gain or to lose you've lost everything you've got nothing why don't you give Jesus a chance I don't know what happened to that lady I hope what that she did give Jesus a, tan, a chance. But this woman here is at the end. She's got nothing left. And so she decides to dis discreetly approach Jesus and just touch his garment. And it seems that her faith in him is, is sort of a, a superstitious kind of faith, you know, as though there's something magical about his garment. But as soon as she does, healing power Healing power surges between the two and she is made well. Jesus feels it. And it's interesting that when Jesus turns to her in verse 34, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. It's beautiful. This is the only time he addresses someone as daughter. But this story also teaches us that not only has Jesus authority and power over disease and sickness, but it also teaches us that Jesus meets us where we are at. As weak and defective as our faith may be, he recognizes it for what it is. And he enables that faith in him to grow so that healing faith may be transformed into saving faith. See, the Greek word for heal in this passage also means to save. So those who are healed also come into saving contact with Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Jesus wants our faith in Him to move beyond what we just see in the here and now and to move to what he has accomplished for us in his death and resurrection he wants our faith in him to to be an acceptance of him as our lord and savior and have an assurance of eternal life final passage and 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 i'm sorry i've kept you a little late the final passage here reveals that Jesus has full authority over death. And it started, you know, in verse 21, uh, a ruler of the synagogue. In contrast to this woman, we don't know her name, but this man we do. His name is Jairus. He's someone important. He comes to Jesus, begs him to come with him to his home. In verse 23, because his daughter 
is at the point of death. And I could just imagine, you know, when Jairus, when Jesus says, yes, I will go with you, I could just imagine Jairus would have been very relieved and happy to hear that Jesus has agreed to go with him and to heal his daughter. She's at death's door, and if ever there was a time for haste, it was now. But it's interesting, instead of haste, on the way there's a delay as Jesus stops and he ministers to this woman. See, the story of that woman is sandwiched between this story. Can you imagine that the delay as Jesus stops and talks to this woman, this woman and builds her faith in him? Can you imagine Jairus just thinking, we don't have any time. She's a nobody. Come on, let's, let's go. Come on. And those few short minutes must have seemed like hours to Jairus as he waits impatiently for, for Jesus to commune with this woman. And the delay is fatal because messengers soon arrive with the news of his daughter's passing. Hope must have perished for Jairus. He knew Jesus could heal the sick and those who were deathly ill, but sickness is one thing and death is another. Death has a finality to it. And Jairus loses all reason for faith and hope And Jesus utters these very simple, yet absolutely essential and profound words to him in verse 36. Fear not. Do not be afraid. Only believe. What to Jairus had been a delay had to Jesus been an opportunity to give him an even greater blessing than he had first asked for. Jesus was about to reveal to him who he really is. You see, God's delay, God's silence often has a purpose. God is wanting to do something greater than we had asked or we can ask. And when we see him act, it reveals who he is and it leads us to an even greater faith in him. You know, this is not the only time that Jesus delayed. In John chapter 11, Jesus hears that his friend Lazarus is sick and he takes his time going to him. And when he finally says to the disciples, let's go, he says to them, hey, by the way, Lazarus is dead. And this gives him an opportunity for him to reveal himself as the resurrection and the life. And when he raises Lazarus from the dead, the people, the people wonder. Jesus always turns up at the right time and he does something far greater than we could have ever asked or thought. All we have to do is fear not, just believe. Verse 40, oh, we're running out of time. When Jesus finally arrives at Jairus' home, it's interesting there, it says in verse 40, they ridiculed him. Because Jesus says, you know, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Jesus is about to wake her up. He's going to give her a second chance. And they ridicule him. 
You know, people laughed at Jesus. They laughed at Jesus, but now, because of his victory over death, we as Christians laugh at death. We have nothing to fear because we know him who is the resurrection and the life. They laughed at Jesus. They may laugh and they may ridicule you. But if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will have the final laugh when you rise to eternal life. What Jesus did for Jairus' daughter, he will do for each and every one of his followers. We have nothing to fear, even in death. You know, these four stories, and I don't think I did them justice. I was sharing this with Pastor Abel, and he said, wow, this is like a a month-long series. But these four stories reveal that Jesus has the ultimate authority over anything that comes our way, whether it be natural disasters, demons, disease, or death. Anything that you face in life, Jesus has already faced and he's conquered. And like the disciples in the sinking boat, we must choose between faith or fear. Like the inhabitants of the Gadarenes, we must choose between accepting or rejecting Jesus. And like the woman and Jairus, we must choose between faith or despair. And today, as you face life's challenges, my question is, what do you choose? I pray that you choose Jesus. God bless you.